0: One of his passions now is to help bridge the gap so that others can discover the true light, which gives light to everyone entering the world. Now, here's Mike Shreve, Revealing the True Light.
1: Welcome to Revealing the True Light. On this episode, I'm going to be sharing seven reasons I no longer practice yoga. For you who are unfamiliar with me, back in 1970, I was a student of Yogi Bhajan, I was in that group referred to as Kundalini Yoga. And I was teaching at four universities in the Tampa, Florida area and running a yoga ashram there. I was very deeply involved in the practice of yoga, in every aspect of yoga. And then all of that dramatically changed in one day's time. I had an encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ, and I knew there had to be a complete separation from my former life. And I'm going to tell you the reasons why. Now, I know some of you may be advocates of yoga, but I want you to know in your heart that I'm not just criticizing that belief system. I am concerned, and in love, I'm sharing these issues with you that I believe to be extremely important, out of concern for you, not because I want to be critical. I'm going to take you through seven reasons I no longer practice yoga, which actually is a condensed version of this booklet that I've written, Seven Reasons I No Longer Practice Yoga. Number one is spiritual foundation, spiritual foundation. The word yoga means yoke, and the implication is that when you do yoga, you are yoked with what is termed ultimate reality in Hinduism, Brahman, which is the absolute impersonal life force, a cosmic energy or level of consciousness, but it is not the true God not the God of the Bible. And the God of the Bible is a personal God, not an impersonal life force. So that's the foundation of yoga. Therefore, how could it be blended with a biblical worldview? Of course it can't. Yoga is based on a far eastern view of both the spiritual and the physical aspects of human beings. And it was designed originally and specifically to open up what has been termed the chakras, which are seven energy centers, whirling energy centers in the body, which is all imaginary. It doesn't really exist. Uh, In fact, the guru I studied under, Yogi Bhajan, said that, that the chakras were just imaginary things, And they were an aid in meditation, but did not actually exist. But supposedly, as you meditate on those chakras and do yoga to open up those chakras and align those chakras, you achieve higher levels of consciousness. But it makes it very mechanical. It's not a personal walk with God. It's a mechanical system. Believing in the chakras also means believing in the kundalini which is a word meaning serpent power. And that's conceived in Hinduism to be a dormant energy at the base of the spine, the divine essence in every human being that like a serpent uncoils and strikes at the moment of achieving God consciousness through the practice of yoga. Now, each one of those seven chakras is associated with a different Hindu deity. And so there is a connection to the pantheon of gods and goddesses in Hinduism when you do yoga, whether you're aware of it or not. Many of the yoga poses are actually worship poses to Hindu gods, various Hindu gods. In fact, I did a podcast recently on that that was titled 10 Yoga Poses That Offer Worship to Hindu Deities. And I'll I'll put a link to that podcast on the notes uh, so that you can easily get to it. Also, when you're doing yoga and assuming different positions, sometimes you use what is called a mudra, and it's a symbolic hand gesture. For instance, when you sit in the lotus position, which is the normal position that begins a time of uh, yoga practice, then usually you curl the forefinger around to touch the thumb. That's the Gyan Mudra. And there's a symbolic occult imagery in the way you position your hands. The forefinger represents the individual soul, which in Hinduism is called Atman, A-T-M-A-N. And the thumb represents ultimate reality, which, as I've mentioned, is called Brahman, a level of consciousness, cosmic energy force, And when you curl your forefinger around to touch the thumb and position your hands like this on your knees in that meditation pose, it's an invocation. You are invoking Brahman to come and consume you and manifest fully within you so that you can achieve this place called God-consciousness. Now, that is the first reason that I no longer practice yoga. The very first reason is the spiritual foundation. The second reason is the spiritual perspective, the vantage point, the way you look at God, look at life, look at human nature, look at salvation. It's the spiritual perspective that is associated with yoga. And again, the word yoga means yoke and it implies being yoked with brahman so you're not you're, you're not just involving yourself in an exercise regimen you're not just involved in some trendy way of tuning up your body you are being yoked with a belief system as well as ultimate reality as perceived in that belief system now the main person that categorized the yoga practices, the asanas, which are physical exercises, pranayama, which is breathing exercises, meditation processes, etc., was Patanjali. And he lived around 200 to 150 BC. And of course, yoga advocates say that yoga actually predated Hinduism, or at least that's the claim. But Patanjali was the one who really codified it and put it in a a communicable form. He was a revered Hindu author, and he taught something called the eight limbs of yoga, or the eight-stage plan to enlightenment. And the asanas, which are the physical exercises in yoga, and the pranayama, which is the breath work, the breathing exercises in yoga, are the third and the fourth stage in his eight limb path to enlightenment. So how can you extricate yoga from Hinduism? You can't. It's so much a part of Hinduism, it is inseparable from Hinduism, and even Hindu authors have said that. Now, if the yoga practice is designed to bring a person to enlightenment, and that does not really happen. It can't happen because it's based on a false idea of the nature of ultimate reality. Then how can you mix that with a true approach? And Jesus gave the true approach in John chapter three. He said, except a man or except a person be born again, He cannot see the kingdom of God, which means to comprehend, to embrace, to understand the kingdom of God, to experience, to encounter the kingdom of God. He said, except a man be born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now, all the yoga advocates I was around and the new agers I was in company with back in 1970 thought that the kingdom of God was already within every human being, but Jesus taught that we had to be born again to enter that kingdom, and for that kingdom to enter us, and for us to have a comprehension of what it's all about. So what is this experience of being born again? It happened to me when a former follower of Yogananda introduced me to Jesus. He had been converted to becoming a follower of Jesus, and he picked me up hitchhiking, and it was a very beautiful series of events that led up to it and you should download my booklet uh, the highest adventure encountering god is free it's on the truelight.net, and i tell the whole story in detail about how i found the lord but he explained to me the difference between the far eastern perspective and the biblical perspective the far eastern perspective is that god is already inside of you therefore to find god you look within you do that through meditation and yoga But the biblical perspective is that God is an external God. He is outside of human beings. He is apart from the material universe. The material universe is not a manifestation of God. The material universe is separate from God, but that he will enter into your heart when you approach him on the proper path. So it's a completely different view. And when you invite the Lord Jesus Christ into your heart, According to the prophecy of Ezekiel, Ezekiel chapter 36, he said that God would put a new spirit in you and put his spirit in you, and consequently, you would receive a new heart. Now, that may all sound like empty philosophy to some of you or empty theology, but it works. And when I invited the Lord Jesus Christ into my heart, I was born again. And that's not the same as what a Hindu would term samadhi, is completely different. It's a spiritual awakening that cannot be found through any other means or any other religion. That's why Jesus, in John 14, verse 6, said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one can come to the Father but by me. Now, the third reason I no longer practice yoga is something I term spiritual deception because the whole approach behind yoga involves a deceived view of the nature of the universe and consequently if you get the nature of the universe wrong you get the nature of god wrong and you get the nature of human beings wrong it's like a triangle and at the top the most important thing you can ever discover is the nature of god and then the nature of the universe and then the third angle is the nature of human beings Well, if you believe the universe is an emanation of God, which is a pantheistic view, and over 50% of Hindus believe in pantheism, which is the idea that the universe is an emanation of God, therefore everything you see materially is really a delusion because it's actually spirit and all this material aspect of it will eventually dissolve away and return back to Godhead. And so if you believe Everything is a manifestation of God, then it's no quantum leap of logic to believe that you and I are expressions of God. If the tree is God, if the bush is God, if the flower is God, if the dog and the cat, if those are manifestations of the divine, then you and I can say we are God and be justified in saying that, which I believe is the absolute antithesis of the truth. And that's the basis of yoga. It's the whole idea that man is divine, that human beings are manifestations or emanations of God on their way to God consciousness. And samadhi or God consciousness is a conscious realization that you are God. Why do I not practice yoga? Because it's based on that spiritual deception that is the greatest deception any human being could ever fall heir to. Uh, any Any human being that errs in that area is going to err in just about every other area theologically all right, the next is spiritual transfer that's the fourth reason I no longer practice yoga. spiritual transfer many Christians have told me that they go to yoga classes but don't participate in the Hindu or the new age elements of the class. For instance, when someone is chanting Om and leading the class and chanting Om, they say, under my breath, I just say the name Jesus. Or when they start meditating on the third eye, they say, I just meditate on a Bible scripture and think that they're out of the danger zone or out of the zone where they could be influenced by the wrongness of the practices going on around them. However, there is a spiritual power associated with those practices. It attracts a manifestation of a demonic spirit. And I know that sounds like a very strong statement to some people, but you are sitting in an atmosphere that that could be compared to sitting in a box full of snakes and they're crawling on you. There's demonic presences in the room because see the word Om actually is broken down into three syllables when it's chanted that sound like A U M, and each one of those syllables is an invocation to a different deity. The A, when it's sounded, when it's mouthed, is a is a invocation to Brahma, the creator god. The U is an invocation to Uh, Vishnu, the preserver god. And the M is an invocation to Shiva, the destroyer god. And so when you're chanting that word, you're actually inviting those deities to inhabit your body. Well, if those deities don't actually exist, and they don't, they're just Imaginary beings, there's 330 million gods and goddesses in the Hindu pantheon, they're imaginary beings, then there's some kind of power manifesting, and it's not the power of actual existent gods. No. And so it's demonic spirits impersonating those gods. That's why I get phone calls from all over the world and people contacting me on our website and through our Facebook page asking me to pray with them because they have these demonic manifestations that start happening, these unpredictable kundalini awakenings that get out of control, and they're frightened by it. And some have called me nearly driven to the point of insanity because of the occult experiences they begin to have just by being involved in yoga. some of them were just involved in the physical aspect, but there is a spiritual transfer. If the teacher of the class is given over completely to a Hindu worldview or something very similar, a new age worldview, then while you're sitting under the authority of that person and that person is telling you what to do, how to move, what positions to take and what to do when you're in those positions, then you're under the authority of that person and whatever spirit is in their life. And it's not the Holy Spirit. It is transferred to you. Now, Serious yoga advocates seek something called Shaktipat, and that's where a guru Muktananda was a very charismatic guru back in the I guess 60s and 70s that was sought after by thousands of people because he had this power to just touch people and they would have this Kundalini awakening. But it wasn't an awakening of serpent power, which was a quote unquote divine essence in every human being, it was a transfer of a demonic presence. And besides, you don't approach God by chanting mantras. That's treating God like a machine or like a computer program into which you insert the right command, Uh, because God's a personal God. You wouldn't try to communicate with a friend by chanting in a very monotone way the same statement a thousand times to earn some kind of audience with that person. Of course not. That would be absurd. By the time you say it three or four times, they would exit your presence. Well, don't approach God that way. God is a personal God that wants a flow of communication from you that is heartfelt. Even Mahatma Gandhi said it is better in meditation to have a heart without words than words without a heart. And quite often, chanting mantras is just words without a heart. It's very monotone, mundane, mechanical, and uh, mystical, but it's not the way to get to God. In fact, Jesus exhorted his disciples not to do that. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 7, he said, When you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Many yoga advocates say Jesus was a God realized man and an example for us how we can become, in a similar way, God realized individuals. But then, why did he counsel people not to chant, not to use this Hindu method? Something to think about, I'm sure. So, if you're in a room where the chanting of Om is taking place, which is supposed to be the sound that accompanied the manifestation of the universe. So you're coming back into union with an original vibration and it lifts your consciousness level. That's the whole thinking behind it. And if you're in a room where that's taking place, you are around spirits that are not the Holy Spirit and you're bound to be contaminated. You're bound to be affected by it. So I would urge just on the basis of that, not to involve yourself, not to be there. It would be like in the Old Testament, a Jew going to worship Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in a temple dedicated to a false idol. That would be unthinkable. You wouldn't do that. And that's why it should be unthinkable that we participate in yoga classes where this is going on. Number five, The fifth reason why I no longer practice yoga is something I call spiritual intrigue. I walked into a yoga studio in California, I don't know, about 10 years ago. And I do that quite often. I'll visit yoga studios and talk to the people there in a very loving way. I'm concerned about them. They're usually people that are seeking for higher values in life, and they really want spirituality, not religion. And i relate to that i understand that that was my heart motivation back then and when i walked in the man at the counter said oh i'm a christian i'm a christian uh we believe in the bible around here and yet i looked around the yoga studio and there was no bible anywhere there was a statue of buddha there were copies of yoga journal which is a magazine very popular yoga magazine that promotes all kinds of new age or Hindu or Far Eastern ideas and concepts. And I thought if someone who was minimally involved in yoga went to that studio to do just a Hatha yoga class, which is the basic physical yoga uh, practice, then they would be intrigued to go deeper, to read about the philosophy behind yoga. And more and more, it would erode a biblical worldview and they would begin to embrace things that are very contrary to the truth. And so spiritual intrigue is the reason I tell people. Now, it wouldn't intrigue me. It wouldn't draw me. But people who are trying to find their way through this maze called religion would be intrigued by some of the ideas, the concepts that are promoted in yoga. Number six is spiritual endorsement. See, if I were to go to a yoga class, and someone who's maybe a new Christian, a new follower of Jesus, sees me go to a yoga class, then that person may interpret my presence in that class as an endorsement of the whole system of thought. And so, they would embrace it all themselves. They'd think, well, if Mike Shreve does it, and he claims to be a Christian, and it must be all right. I will do it also I'll, I'll involve myself in yoga, and then it opens a door to all kinds of spiritual deception and wrong doctrine and wrong concepts. Paul touched on something similar to this in the early church. One of their big challenges was food that would be offered to people in big feasts was usually dedicated to a deity, a false god. In some elaborate service to that deity at a temple. And it would be known among the people participating in the feast that this was food consecrated to an idol. And Paul wrote about it in First Corinthians chapter 8, verses 10 through 13. And he said, If anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will not the conscience of him who is weak be emboldened to eat those things that are offered? to idols. And because of your knowledge, shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died. For when you thus sin against the brethren and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ, the Messiah. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never again eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. And the word meat there is an archaic word that means any kind of food that was offered to an idol. There are Christian alternatives to yoga. I have friends that at one time were yoga teachers, and they saw how that it opened the door to all of the dark things that I've mentioned, and so they withdrew from yoga and later on felt impressed to give a Christian alternative. And one is called Holy Fit, W-H-O-L-Y-F-I-T. You can look it up on the web. And the other is called Praise Moves. And both Lorette Willis of Praise Moves and Laura Monica of Holy Fit are very strong in standing against yoga and the practices that go along with it. And so you won't go wrong by involving yourself in a similar kind of low-impact physical exercise regimen that is stripped of all its connection to religiosity and, and, and spiritual power. Because the various ways they exercise are not associated with any kind of spiritual awakening taking place. They're just exercises. And they're stripped of the connection to yoga. And I think that's necessary. Because if you call it yoga, there's an immediate connection in people's minds. Now, when I pray, I hope to transcend this natural world and come in the presence of God. And when I pray, I meditate, which biblically means to focus your attention on the Word of God and prayerfully read God's Word as the Holy Spirit gives you the interpretation. And to meditate on the events of Jesus' life and just to ponder the greatness of those events. It's not an attempt to empty your mind to achieve higher levels of mystical consciousness. It's different altogether. So when I have my quiet times... I do hope to transcend and I definitely meditate, but I'm not going to call it transcendental meditation because that would associate me with the teachings of Maharishi Mahesh Yogi, which I do not believe in. So the word is very important because words build associations in people's minds. And so spiritual endorsement takes place if you say, I'm practicing yoga. All right. Number seven is spiritual compromise. And this is my last point. If you practice yoga, you are compromising Christianity. You cannot redeem yoga because it was never God's to start with. I heard Brooke Boone, the founder of Holy Yoga, say one time that she was initially involved in yoga before becoming a Christian and that there was nothing wrong with yoga to start with. I disagree with that statement. I strongly disagree with that statement and I differ with her on that opinion because there are many things wrong with that system. See, they believe when you do the pranayama, when you do the breathing exercises, that you're intensifying your intake of prana. That's why it's called pranayama. And prana are the individual particles of divine essence that you breathe in. That's why they believe the breath intensifies your conscious awareness of God. Well, I have a a little acrostic for the word yoga, Y-O-G-A. You only get air. You only get air because you cannot breathe your way into a relationship with God. And you are compromising if you involve yourself in those practices because, and this is going to be the strongest point I make so far probably, but it's supported by something the guru I studied under taught. I heard with my own ears Yogi Bhajan say back in 1970 that kundalini yoga was white witchcraft. And he differentiated. He said there's three kinds of witchcraft. Black witchcraft is witchcraft that is used, which is spiritual power used for evil purposes. Red witchcraft is spiritual power used for selfish purposes. But white witchcraft is spiritual power used for good or godly purposes. But the same source of power is the same for all three. See, it's that energy force called Brahman, and you can tap into it whether you're a black witch, red witch, or white witch, and he called kundalini yoga white witchcraft. But see, witchcraft is illegitimate spiritual power which is experienced or manifested outside of a relationship with the true and the living God. And yoga falls in that category. And let me quote to you something that's found in Deuteronomy chapter 18 as we close. When you come into the land which the Lord your God has given you, and this was, of course, communicated to the Israelites that were entering into the land of promise, you shall not learn to follow the abominations of those nations. There shall not be found among you anyone who makes his son or daughter pass through the fire or who practices witchcraft or a soothsayer or one who interprets omens or a sorcerer or one who conjures spells or a medium or spiritist or one who calls up the dead. For all who do these things are abominations to the Lord. Not only are the things Abominations, those who do those things are abominations to the Lord. Because of these abominations, the Lord your God drives them out from before you. So, false spiritual practices among the Canaanites were the reason they were dispossessed of their land. That's strong. That's very strong. So, I'm encouraging you don't be a compromiser and don't be yoked with those who believe in these things. Because God said, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. 2 Corinthians six fourteen. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness and what communion has light with darkness? And you may say, well, I'm a yoga advocate. I'm in the light. But Jesus said, take heed, lest the light that is in you really be darkness because it's not the true light. Jesus is referred to as the true light that lights every man who comes into the world. Also in Jeremiah chapter 10 verses two and three, God said, do not learn the way of the heathen or the way of the Gentiles. Do not be dismayed at the signs of heaven for the Gentiles are dismayed at them. That's astrology. And then he said, for the customs of the peoples are vain. So he said, don't learn the way of those outside of a covenant relationship with God concerning how to penetrate the spiritual world. Now, the word yoga means yoke. And I am inviting you to experience a yoke in your life, but it's a different yoke altogether. Not the yoke that yokes you with Brahman and a system of belief called Hinduism, but a yoke that brings you into a personal relationship with the savior of the world. In Matthew 11, verses 28 through 30, Jesus said, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest not the false peace that you find in yoga, but the rest of God. He said, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. When I began studying under Yogi Bhajan, he taught us that it might take the entirety of our lives, or maybe even two or three incarnations of devoting ourselves completely to the study of yoga before we could achieve samadhi or God consciousness. And from 3.30 in the morning till 5.30 every night, I was involved in some kind of discipline and then teaching yoga in night classes at four universities. And it was a really hard path and a difficult yoke. But Jesus said, all I had to do was invite him into my life and into my heart and that he would lift this burden of sin, cleanse my soul by the washing of his blood. I didn't think it was logical. I didn't think it would work, but it did. And it was the correct way back to God. And I encourage you to take his yoke upon you because his yoke is fulfilling the will of the father during this life. Now, those are the seven reasons I no longer practice yoga I don't go into all the information contained in this booklet. I urge you to order this off of thetruelight.net, and I believe you'll get even greater insight by reading the booklet. Or I would urge you to download my story, The Highest Adventure Encountering God, when you go to thetruelight.net. It's free in nine different languages, and also my full length book, 336 pages comparing over 20 religions and touching on all of the issues that are so important in the realm of comparative religion, I would urge you to order this book as well. Thank you for listening. I do appreciate you being with me.
0: Thank you for joining Mike Shreve today on Revealing the True Light, and thank you for opening your mind and your heart to the truth. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, cpnshows.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss new episodes. You can explore the beliefs of many world religions more deeply by ordering Mike Shree's book titled In Search of the True Light. We also invite you to visit our website, thetruelight.net, and sign up to be part of our global internet family.